All right, good morning. Turn to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 18. Uh, This morning we're going to be in uh, verses 24 to 28, and I'm excited. Uh, I want to start with a story. Um, I often quote an author that I find very helpful. His name's John Stott. Well, this is a story um, from his ministry. Soon after the publication of John Stott's 1971 uh, book, Basic Christianity, he received a letter, and that letter read this way. Dear John, thank you for writing Basic Christianity. It led me to make a new commitment of my life to Christ. I'm old now, nearly 78, but not too old to make a new beginning. I rejoice in all the grand work you are doing. Yours sincerely, Leslie Weatherhead. The significance of of this note, well, really, it would be significant from anyone, but let me tell you who wrote it. Leslie Weatherhead was one of the most respected and influential Christian leaders in the United Kingdom at that time. Thousands heard him preach in City Temple. His books were read widely. He pioneered in the field of counseling, and he was the president of the Methodist Conference. Yet at 78 years old, he was not too proud or too worn out to make a fresh commitment of his life. He was, you might say, a teachable servant. And that is what our title is this morning as we consider a man in Scripture named Apollos who also was a teachable servant. And so we're going to look at that in Acts 18. We're going to see this guy, Apollos, suddenly come into the story of the book of Acts and of the early church. Just a disclaimer this morning, I'm a little bit under the weather. I have a cough, and you can probably hear it. Uh, So we might be a bit shorter and lower energy this morning. We'll see. Um, But, and that was my cough drop. I just had to finish it. Um, But where have we been in Acts? I just want to consider that for a second. You know, we've been going through the book of Acts verse by verse, and we saw in Acts 17, 1 through 10, the world turned upside down. Do you remember? In Thessalonica. We looked then at true nobility as they came to a small town where the people were noble, the town of Berea. We then looked in Acts 17 further at Jesus among other gods in Athens, Paul at Mars Hill. And then we went to Corinth, and we've been in Corinth, and we looked at Paul the tent maker. We talked about Paul's real job, a tent maker. And then last week, we looked at Paul's hair, and we looked at other lessons uh, from his life where he took a Nazarite vow, got a haircut, and um, went to Ephesus. And so this morning we find ourselves in Ephesus, and we hear about this guy, Apollos. And I want to talk about who Apollos is, but really the verses give us a lot of info about him. I just want to read it first and then pray. Acts 18, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, 
though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for the example of this great teachable servant, Apollos. Lord, may we be teachable, Lord. May we be people who are not wise in our own eyes. Lord, may we be people who can learn um, from anyone. And most certainly, Lord, may we be people who learn from you constantly, from your word, from your spirit, from the lessons you're teaching us in our life, even from your discipline. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, that you love us more than we could ever love you and that you've demonstrated your love for us through Christ coming and paying the penalty of our sins on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. A teachable servant. So uh, we're going to talk about who Apollo is. Now, teachability in life is so important. It's been said, you know, if you want to be useful in church, in life, in, you know, your community of faith, in ministry, you have to be fat. All right. And that's an acronym. Faithful, available, and now teachable. Teachability is so important. And sometimes people say, well, that's one of my strengths. I'm very teachable. And I say to them, okay, like, like, but how long does it take you to get there? Like, does someone have to knock you out like five times? And then you're like, all right, I see. That's not teachability. Teachability, that's, that's willingness to learn in a headlock. Teachability is quick to be teachable, quick to learn, willingness to learn. We see that here in this guy, Apollos. Like, let's just do some detective work on who he is simply by looking again at the verses. Look at verse 24, and you see some biographical things about Apollos. It says he was a Jew. It says his name was Apollos, a native of Alexandria, an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in spirit, spoke and taught accurately concerning Jesus. But he knew only the baptism of John. Just kind of running through those things again. Um, and also about Apollos, he's mentioned 10 times in the New Testament, um, two times in Acts, in 1 Corinthians, which is interesting because at the end of this little passage this morning, he goes to Corinth. So he's mentioned in 1 Corinthians seven times and in Titus one time. We know that he became very influential in the early church because Paul, when writing to the Corinthians, he kind of rebukes them. He's like, he's like, you guys are crazy. You're like, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter, these three leaders. So Apollos became a big leader. Some say he wrote Hebrews. You know, the author of Hebrews is sort of unknown. It's like a mystery. We, don't, we know most of the authors of the books of the Bible. And we know, of course, that God ultimately is the author of his word. But the human author of Hebrews is a bit unknown, but many people think it could have been Apollos or Barnabas or Priscilla. We don't know. 
Martin Luther thought it was Apollos. Did he write Hebrews? We don't know. He was a Jew. He was from this place called Alexandria. I'll show you it on a map. He was from there. That's in Egypt. And they are in Ephesus at this time of the story. In Alexandria, it's where they actually came up with this thing. You might have heard this before, but just you can now know what it is if you don't already. This thing called the Septuagint. Have you heard of that before? That means um, 70, I think. I'm pretty sure it does. And um, it's because 70 Jewish scholars gathered in Alexandria in, I think it was like 200 BC, and, and they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek. And so they had a Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. And so Alexandria is a place of scholarship. It's a place where there were a lot of Jews, and it's a place of libraries and philosophy and scholarship. The contemporary of Jesus, his name was Philo. He's from Alexandria. So anyways, Apollos is from Alexandria. And um, so his name, he's named after a Greek god, Apollos, even though he's Jewish. It says of him that he was, do you see it? It says he was eloquent. That word is only used here in the New Testament. It, it literally means he was a master of his content and his delivery. He, was, he, was, he knew his stuff and he knew how to communicate his stuff well. He was lagios is what the word is, eloquent. It says he was competent in the scriptures. Do you see that? I think your translation might say he was mighty in the scriptures. What a compliment. Think about that. It's the word that, that we get the word dynamite from. He was mighty in the word. What, what a thing to grab onto and be like, that. I want that to be me. He was mighty. He was competent in the scriptures. It says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Um, the word there is he was catechized in the way of the Lord. So you get this picture of Apollos, right? It says he was fervent in spirit. I believe that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Taken, um, He was taught accurately the things of Jesus. I'm sorry, it says he taught accurately the things of Jesus. So you get this idea. But here's one thing. Look at what it says there at the end of verse 25. It says he only knew the baptism of John. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Do you know? Honestly, let me tell you something. No one actually knows. No one actually knows exactly what that means. And if they tell you they do, then, you know, they're just really confident in their, their view of it. Um, so does it mean that his only problem is that he was a Baptist? <laughs> <laughs> kind of works for that. Um, John the Baptist. Um, that is funny. But that's not what it means. Um, one pastor, author, John MacArthur, says that it for sure means that he was not a Christian at this time, but just a naturally gifted Jewish orator. I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure I actually agree with that. Luke says a lot of things that would make you think he's a Christian. Another scholar says he, that you know, he was a Christian because there's nowhere else in Scripture where there would be a person who is, it says, described as instructed in the things of the Lord and teaching accurately the things about Jesus, but then that person to not be a Christian. We don't know. It is not possible to be sure which Christian truths Apollos knew when he taught accurately and which ones he came to know when he taught more accurately. 
I don't think we know, and I don't think Luke wants us to know, because I think Luke wants us to know some other things, and that is what our focus will be on this morning. You know, um, I want to consider three lessons from Apollos, three key lessons. And the first one from verses 24 to 25 is this. I don't have to know everything to share something about my faith in Christ. That's the picture of Apollos. He had a deficient theology, right? Like it's pointed out in the Bible that he was missing a key point. He didn't understand something. We don't know exactly what it meant and what it looked like that he didn't have that, but he didn't know everything. He needed to be pulled aside and taught more. In fact, it really, it really communicates that point because it says all the things that he did, and then it says, do you see the key phrase at the end of verse 25? Though he only knew the baptism of John. It's like Apollos did a lot of great things despite the gap in his understanding of Christianity. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. I don't have to know everything to share something about my faith in Christ. I think of the blind person that Jesus heals in the Gospels. And the Pharisees come to him and they say, who healed you? Was it that Jesus guy? Tell us right now that he's a sinner. And this guy, the blind guy says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind. Now I see. I don't have to know everything to share something about my faith in Christ. The reality is, is that every person in here, anything that we are doing or that we have done, it would be true to say of you that you did all of those things, though you knew only, and then there would be some things you don't yet know. We'll never know everything. And so we've got to do away with the illusion that I have to know everything to share something about my faith. In Christ, when I was in seminary, I used to go to this bagel shop called New York Bagel. And I remember I was sitting there one time, and I think I was like, you know, studying, doing really geeky things that seminary students do, like looking at like a Greek Bible, you know. And man, like I was sitting there, and I hear these Jehovah's Witnesses come in behind me at the table behind me. And they, they believe that Jesus is not God, and it's a cult. But... They come in, and, and, and what happens is they're, they're talking to the person at the table behind me. They're sharing with them um, about, about their religion. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Like, I'm sitting here. God put me here. I'm studying Greek right now. I know that the fundamental flaw with Jehovah's Witnesses is the translation in their Bible of John 1.1. They have misunderstood the anarthrous predicate nominative, and they translate it falsely as in the beginning he was a God instead of in the beginning he was God. But I know I can slide over to that table, and I can make this real clear right now, and we'll lead everyone to the Lord. And so I do, you know? I do. And I interrupt the conversation. Hello, excuse, how are you guys doing? Y'all hear y'all talking about the word. 
And I'm, I'm like, well, let's go to John 1.1. And I start trying to show them some things. And then it just went nowhere. Not that that's not helpful to know that. It is. But it went nowhere. It wasn't really, you know, connecting the way I had hoped or envisioned. And then another person joins our table from another table. And she scoots up and she's like, I hear y'all talking about Jesus. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we're talking about stuff, Greek and stuff. And she's like, oh, I just love Jesus. She's like, he has changed my life. Can I tell you my story? And this authentic Christian girl who just had a testimony shares her story. And these Jehovah's Witnesses and the person they were trying to convert are locked in. And they're like, tell me more. And I'm like, I'm just going to go back to doing my Greek. <laughs> and again, it's not just that I don't have to know everything to share something about my faith in Christ. It's actually sometimes more helpful when we know a little bit less. The idea of trying to know everything or thinking we know everything is harmful, I think. And so that's the first lesson I think we can take from Apollo's second lesson is I must be willing to learn from anyone who is further along than me in Christ, regardless of social status, age, or gender. Now, this point jumps out from verse 26. Look at verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So they're in Ephesus, right? And, and Apollos is speaking boldly. He's eloquent. But when Priscilla and Aquila, now remember them, they are the tent makers that partnered with Paul in a tent making business in Corinth, and then they moved it over to Ephesus. Paul left them in Ephesus and went to run some errands, and they're there. And they're listening to Apollos. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. There's so much here, right? Did they walk up to the front of the synagogue and correct him publicly? Would they have been correct? Would they have been on the side of truth? Would they have been accurate if they had done that? Yes. But that's not always what's most productive and helpful. Grace and truth. Truth and love. It's really instructive how they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Let me read you a quote, because I think this is a key quote. A commentator on the book of Acts, Dr. Ben Witherington, he says this, and I quote, that Luke does not tell us explicitly what the content was of the instruction suggests that Luke's concern is with the fact that he was taught by this couple. Do you see what's happening here? This eloquent person from Alexandria is being mentored by Priscilla and Aquila, tent makers. This is the equivalent of, you know, a professor of religion and philosophy at Duke with a PhD being pulled aside by a husband and wife 
couple who are there to paint and saying, hey, we heard what you were saying. Can we show you some things in the scriptures? Can we encourage you a little bit? Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? There is a real radical point that Luke's making here about class, about status in the kingdom of God. It's not just that, though. It's also gender. I don't know if you noticed this, but last week or a couple of weeks ago, when we were introduced to this husband and wife team, how were they introduced? Do you remember? Turn back if you need to. You can see it there. They were introduced as Aquila and Priscilla. Why suddenly now the change? The change of word order. Why? Surely that's not a mistake. Why is that? Now it is Priscilla and Aquila. And it will be that way the rest of the way in the New Testament. There's a lot of theories about this. But it is clear that Luke is wanting to make the point that Priscilla took a lead and prominent role in this mentoring of Apollos and helping him to know the way of God more accurately. And we have to have a category for that. And some of us do, and it's not a problem for you, but some of us don't. And Apollos probably didn't because he was a Jewish man. But this is the kingdom of God. Galatians 3 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this happening where Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla taking a lead role, mentoring Apollos, this happening doesn't abolish the beautiful and distinct roles that God has called men and women to in Scripture. We're not saying that. But it does show how God is very pleased to use our sisters in Christ, to teach us men or teach any man the way of God more accurately. Why does this work? Why does this work when you're crossing, you know, class, gender, culture? Because, here's the key, listen, because it's about the way of God. They didn't pull him aside to teach him the way of Priscilla more accurately. They didn't pull him aside to teach him the way of Aquila more accurately or the way of Paul more accurately, the way of God more accurately. Chapter and verse, the authority resides in the word of God, in the message, not the messenger. And that is the point. Three key lessons. Don't have to know everything. Number two, I must be willing to learn from anyone who is further along than me In Christ, regardless of social status, age, or gender. Now, you have to apply this personally. You have to really think about this and and deeply pray about it. Do you struggle with learning from people that maybe are further along than you in their walk with God, but they're younger than you? Do you struggle with learning from people who are of a different culture than you. They do things differently than you. 
Do you struggle with learning from people of the opposite sex? You got to apply this. Be willing to learn. That's the teachable servant. Number three, three key lessons. God blesses the work of a teachable servant. And that's really what we see here, right? See the conclusion of the matter, verse 27 and 28. It says, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Pause. Because that's the only way a person can believe, right? Through grace. All grace. 28. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. All right. So he, he goes, or he comes to the Ephesian church. That's where they were originally. Priscilla and Aquila mentored him. He got his theology a little better. Still not perfect. No one's perfect. And he's like, you know what? I have a heart to cross the Aegean Sea and go over to Corinth. There's a church there. I think I could be useful there. And he asks the church at Ephesus, what do you think? Teachable servants do this. The brothers, it says, encouraged him. And they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. They affirmed him. They, they sent him with a letter. They said, we affirm this. This is a great couple of verses for thinking about missionary work or church planting, the importance of being sent, the importance of being actually affirmed. Because Luke is presenting this to us in such a way that it's almost as if, as a result of this, his work was so fruitful. When he arrived, you see, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. So he had this ministry of encouragement. Teachable servant is a powerful and useful tool in the hands of the Lord. Then it says he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. And so he had an apologetic ministry, a ministry of encouragement to Christians and an apologetic ministry in the streets and in the synagogues. Proverbs 12 says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Teachable servant, an example for us, three key lessons. You know, it's later in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul will write, listen to this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but only God gives the growth. 
So you see this amazing picture of how God uses a teachable servant, a servant who seeks wisdom. And let me just close with reading to you from Proverbs 3. You can turn there if you like. Proverbs 3, verse 13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. God blesses the work of a teachable servant. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians says. Let's pray.